disappointed by Jesus. Lord, we've come tonight to gather in your name. And we stand by faith that you're present among us. And we ask you to turn our hearts toward heaven. To fill us with your fire. To redeem us in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. John, the 13th chapter, verse 27. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Have you ever been in a room with people talking and having conversation and somebody says something that just cuts across the whole room and suddenly it's so thick you could cut it with a knife. That's how it was that evening at that Last Supper. Jesus had said that he was going to be betrayed and suddenly just cut across that room because Jesus said the one that I give the bread to that I dip He's the one who will betray me. And then Jesus handed it to Judas. And now Judas is going to betray Jesus. They didn't know what to say. The tension was so high. Judas gets up and walks out. It's that pregnant moment. Jesus was soon going to go to the cross. He had some precious things he wanted to say to his disciples. They were still arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They knew that they were coming to a crisis time when everything would shift and change. And they were jockeying for a position in that new administration. They thought this was a political deal. When he was gone, verse 31, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. They loved hearing that, because they were understanding Jesus to be saying, now it's time for me to be glorified, it's time for me to establish a throne and a kingdom, and you all are going to be a part of it. Verse 33, my children, a term of endearment. Jesus was 30 when he started his ministry, so he's 33 years old. How old are his disciples? Most of them are probably 19, 20, 21 years old. Matthew is probably an older man. Judas is probably an older man. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews... So I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, Jesus, one moment, is speaking to their hearts and saying, it's glory time. And the next moment, he's saying, and I'm out of here. And they're saying, what is going on? They've never understood what Jesus was talking about. So now he says to them, a new command I give you. Love one another. 
They don't want to love one another. They want the position of honor in the new kingdom. What's this love one another business? It's compete with one another and get the position you want. Then we'll worry about love. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. None of this is making sense. In their minds, they're saying, look, they'll know we're your disciples because we're seated at the right and the left hand of your throne as you kick the Romans out of Israel. Simon Peter, though, is quick on the uptake. He says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. All of their expectations were that Jesus would establish a kingdom that would have political power and the Romans would be kicked out. Caiaphas and his whole crowd would be kicked out. Righteousness would be established on the earth. Jesus would rule and reign on the earth. And they would rule and reign beside him. And Jesus has continually confounded them by saying things like, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and the high priest, they're going to crucify me. They're going to put me to death. The Messiah was not supposed to die. The Messiah was supposed to rule and reign. At this point, the disciples were very disappointed in Jesus. This was the beginning of sorrows that would cause them later in the night to just go to sleep and be unable to pray. They would go to sleep and be unable to pray because the disappointment was so great in Jesus that they had no strength left to pray. Because none of their expectations were being fulfilled by Jesus. They'd invested all of this time and energy. They'd taken these great risks. They were willing to take even greater risks. They were willing to sacrifice their lives for Jesus. They were willing to lay it all on the line for Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not going to come with me. We're going to be separated. You're going to be alone. I, too, have been disappointed by Jesus. I, too, have had my expectations about how things should work. I've been taught that when you pray and you wait on God, He'll step in and he'll fix everything. I've believed that that when I would pray and wait on God and obey his commands, that then he would meet my expectations. So what's the deal with God? The deal with God is, look, I'll do what you ask me to do. Now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. You fulfill the promises you made in Scripture. I've done my part. Now you do your part. My experience is God usually doesn't do his part the way I expect God to do his part. And so suddenly the money runs out and you're saying, wait a minute, God, I paid my tithe. 
I did everything I was supposed to do. Why am I in this situation? Why is the job this way? Why am I being oppressed? Why am I, why am I like this? What honor is this to your name? If, if I really get honest with you tonight, I'm going to have to tell you there is deep, deep disappointment in my soul about the way my life has progressed to this point. I would not have ever planned my life the way my life is evolving and opening as I have followed Jesus. You know, I thought when I followed Jesus, that was an automatic guarantee of success. I thought that when I followed Jesus, it was an automatic guarantee of blessings. That when I followed Jesus, I knew the outcome. I wouldn't be sick. I wouldn't suffer. I would walk. I would bind the power of the enemy in the name of Jesus and cast it out. Hmm? Any of you been taught this way? I mean, Goliath, come on. I got Jesus. I got the sling and I've got the stone. And you're going down, Goliath. As Goliath has stomped on me, just about crushed the life out of me. I thought I'd be hacking off Goliath's head and headed to Jerusalem for a celebration. My heart's been disappointed. Things haven't worked the way I thought they were supposed to work. So that's made me back up and, and say to John, say to Peter, say to James, you're my brothers. I can feel a lot more closeness with you than I can with Jesus. And Jesus says to them, Chapter 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. How could I not have my heart troubled? Isn't everything going on a trouble to my heart? Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God or believe in God. Trust or believe also in me. Okay, so I have disappointment in my heart about the way life has progressed under the lordship of Jesus. And when I've told him this, his word to me is, believe in me. When you look in the Greek, you can translate it either trust in God or believe in God. But neither one of these words captures the truth behind this Greek word. Its root is is faith. It, it more accurately, I think, should be expressed. Entrust yourself. Entrust yourself to God. Entrust yourself also to me. If you're disappointed, Ray, it's because you had your eyes on a kingdom that you thought you were going to get to participate in building. Did you follow me to succeed? Did you follow me to be blessed? Why have you followed me? The word entrust literally means to pick myself up and give myself away. So he's saying, 
You're disappointed, Ray? You're disappointed, Peter? You're disappointed, James? You're disappointed, John? Then pick yourself up and give yourself to me. So whatever your disappointment is tonight in Jesus, his word is very clear to us. Pick up your bag of disappointment. Pick up your life and hand it to me. Now he begins to say something that that just draws my heart. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Let's talk about what the real meaning is, the literal meaning of the Greek. It is, in my father's place of residence, not meaning a house, but in my father's land, in my father's place of abiding, in my father's place of dwelling, there is a lot of room. There's much acreage. If it were not so, I would have told you. In other words, God doesn't live in a small place. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. The disciples are very disappointed that Jesus is not talking about setting up a kingdom on the earth where they have positions of power and they're able to live out their fondest dream of success. They're disappointed by that. And Jesus' answer to them is, look, pick up all that you have, pick up your disappointment, pick up your life, and entrust it to me. It's not just give it to me, it's give it to me and let go of it. The Lord is saying, take your life and give it to me, entrust it to me. I'll put your life in my pocket and I'm going to take you with me when I come back. Because my father has lots of room. He has lots of acreage where he lives. And there I'm going to prepare a place for you. Do you see how Jesus totally steps around all of my concerns about my expectations for how life is going to be? He just steps around it. As though what he's saying to me should remove from my heart all concerns and all fears. I should simply say, I'll wait on you to come and get me. But for me to just lift my hands up to him and say, I'll wait on you to come and get me, means that I give up my life, my dreams. I entrusted my life to him. He took my life and went off to heaven. Now, what am I supposed to do? I don't have my life and he took my life off to heaven. What am I to do? Well, before I answer that question, the question that immediately comes to my mind is, okay, how am I going to get there? You say, if I entrust my life with you, there's plenty of room in the father's house. I haven't seen the father's house. Thomas said to him, verse 5, this is John 14, verse 5, Lord, we do not know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way 
and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying there is only one path to the Father's house. All paths don't lead to the same place. All paths lead to one of two places, either heaven or hell. The only ones that will be going to heaven are those boys and girls, those men and women who have entrusted their lives into the hands of Jesus and have totally given up any ownership of their life here. And with it, any right to complain regarding what happens to their life now. I do not any longer have the right to say to Jesus, I am disappointed by what you've done with my life. Because my life is not here. My life has already been taken in Jesus' pocket to heaven. So I don't have a life here. This is not my home. Heaven is my home because I've already entrusted my life and and Jesus has it in his pocket. He's already taken it there. So now the concern of my heart is how do I get there? What's the way to get there? Do I have to fast five times a week? Do I have to beat myself with a whip every day? Do I have to lay down on a bed of nails? What do I have to do to get there? Well, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So the way there is Jesus. Now, we have lots of ways that we like. We like the way of sin and rebellion. We like the way of feeling bad. We like the way of being a victim. We like the way of rebellion. We like the way of, of trying hard. We like the way of, of fighting and arguing. We like the way of self-pity. None of those are the way to the heavenly city where my life is in the pocket of Jesus. The only way to heaven is by Jesus, through Jesus. If you, verse 7, if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on you do. You know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the father. That'll be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe I'm in the Father and that the Father's in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say, can you believe this discussion is going on? It's after the supper. It's after Judas has left. They're sitting around with the dirty dishes on the table. And Jesus is trying to talk to them because he knows he has to go to Gethsemane. He knows he's going to be taken captive that night. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Do you want to do the things Jesus was doing? Do you want the power in the Spirit to do what Jesus did? Then you'll have to utterly give up all concept 
of Western society's success. Jesus was very clear. I'm not here to give you success. I'm not here to give you fame or money. I'm here for only one reason. To do what the Father has told me to do. Now, if you want to do the same things I've been doing, your eyes have to be on heaven and not on earth. And you have to give up all sense of political power. Some of you tonight would say, I've got the anointing of the Holy Spirit on me. Do you do the things that Jesus did? Do you walk the way Jesus walked? Or do you walk the way the false prophets of our day walk? What we're looking at is a radical description that Jesus is giving to his disciples just before he goes to the cross. And he's saying, look, would you just stop all pretense and start loving each other? Would you start caring about each other? Will you stop all the mumbo jumbo of of having people come up and lay hands on them and lay them out on the floor like some kind of magic show? Or as some do when everybody falls down with, I mean, just wickedness, shamanism. This isn't Jesus. This is the devil. Jesus is saying, look, if you want to be my disciple, start loving one another. Walk humbly, recognizing that your life is in my pocket in heaven. You don't have a life here anymore. Remember, he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And I'll add all the other things to you. So the concern Jesus has is will we be entrusted to him? Will we be given into his hand? Will we give up our ideas about success? Will we give up our illusions that we're going to be somebody special? And will we trust that Jesus will begin to do in us the same things the Father began to do in Jesus as we're submitted to him. Now it says, believe in me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. At least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. So Jesus is saying, you will have real miracles happening in your life. Miracles of healing, miracles and signs and wonders And it'll cause people to believe in Jesus, not to fill your pockets with gold. When you begin to humble your heart before God and get clean by the blood, when you entrust your heart, your life, everything you have into the hands of Jesus, now he can begin to reach out and fill you with himself. And I've been crying out, oh God, you said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. Oh, Lord, could I do the things that you were doing? Could I walk like you walked? Of course, you realize Jesus didn't have a place to live, didn't have a car, didn't even have a donkey. You still want to be like Jesus. He didn't have any furniture. All Jesus had was the seamless garment he wore and a cloak around his shoulders. Almost everything Jesus used while he was here was borrowed, donkey included. You want to be like Jesus? I've seen people give everything they have away so that they have nothing. And sometimes some of those people, I've tried to give furniture to them. I've tried to give them things. And they hold up their hands and they say, oh, no, I can't have anything because Jesus didn't have anything. Well, I've thought about this a lot this week. I know of men and women who have gone 
into the monastery or have become monks to earnestly give themselves to prayer to seek Jesus. And they never found him. I've known people who have, who have said, look, the way to Jesus is to get his blessings and to be rich because then you can help other people. And I've seen them shipwreck their lives. I've seen people with, with many different strategies to try to get to Jesus. That this passage of scripture could be fulfilled in their lives. There's one thing I haven't seen very often. A man or woman, a boy or girl, who's just willing to entrust themselves to Jesus. With no other agenda. You recognize Jesus said, go sell all you have and give to the poor. Then come and follow me. But Peter never sold his house. Scriptures say that Peter had a house, had a wife. In fact, his wife even got to travel with him. There was one thing that the disciples did finally. They entrusted their life into the hands of Jesus. You see, if I focus on doing it right, if I focus on getting rid of all my stuff, if I focus on fasting, if I focus on discipline, if I focus on reading the Bible, if I focus on ministry, if I focus on anything other than Jesus Christ, I am following a path that is not Jesus Christ. And the only path that will take me to heaven is Jesus. Now, Jesus will tell me to read the scriptures. Jesus will tell me to walk in discipline. But I'm not doing those things so I can get something. I'm doing it because I already have something. Do you see the difference? If Jesus tells me to give away all that I have, and, and he did this once to us. He said, give all your furniture away, right? We emptied the house. For six months, we sat on the floor. We had no couch to sit on. We had no chairs. It was all gone because Jesus said, give it all away. And then he began to give us back what he wanted us to have. Until we're embarrassed by it. Until we say, Jesus. Jesus. But you see, now the difference is that furniture that I had was mine. I earned it and I bought it. The furniture I have now, I didn't earn and I didn't buy. He sent it. He chose it. And now he gets to use it any way he wants to use it. It's his. He gets to use it. So tonight, I want to ask, are you willing to entrust your life into Jesus' hands? And you know, when you give him your life, you're giving him all of your dreams, all your hopes. You're giving him your wife and your husband. You're giving him your children. You're giving him all of your disappointments. You're giving him all of your furniture. You're giving him all of your house. You're giving him all of your car. You're giving him everything. You are saying everything is now going to be entrusted. And Jesus carries it in his pocket. My life is now in Jesus. I don't have a life anymore. I need to turn to one other passage of scripture just very quickly. In the book of Luke, the 12th chapter, we'll begin reading with verse 32. 
Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father's been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table and will come out and wait on them. Why would he do that? Because the one that he's going to wait on is his bride. It's his bride. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. So he's saying, watch out while you wait on Jesus to come back from heaven because thieves are going to come and try to break into your house and they're going to come and steal your joy. They're going to come and steal your hope. They're going to come and steal your trust in Jesus. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And Peter asked, Lord, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master's taking a long time coming. And he then begins to beat the men's servants and maid servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he's not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. So he's saying, look, entrust your life to me. Let me have your life. And now wait for me. And while you wait, feed your brothers, serve your brothers. So what am I doing with my life? I'm waiting on Jesus. And I'm feeding my brothers and sisters. That's what he said. Now, if I begin to get mean and I begin to speak against my brothers, I'm beating them up. And Jesus is saying, look, you're supposed to feed your brothers. But in the process, if you start to punch them out, I'm going to judge you. Everyone understood exactly what Jesus was saying when he said this. The worst punishment that could be put on a person was not the cross. The worst punishment was done by the Persians where they would cut off pieces of the body and have contests to see how long they could keep somebody alive. Cutting off a finger and cutting off another finger and another thing until finally the person died. It's the worst possible punishment. 
And Jesus is saying here, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he's not aware of. He will cut him to pieces, pieces. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers, which is the pit of hell. The servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does the things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with little, with much, much more will be asked. All of you in this house have been entrusted with much. You've heard the call to holiness. You've heard the call to give up your life and follow Jesus. Are you using your time and energy to feed your brothers and sisters? Or are you beating them up? Are you so disappointed by your lack of success, by the failures, and by things not going the way you wanted them to go, that you respond by beating up your brothers and sisters, by judging them, being angry with them, Cursing them, yelling and screaming at them, cutting people off from your heart. Tonight, the call of the spirit in this house is to say, yes, I have been disappointed. Things have not gone the way I wanted them to go. Jesus, I now entrust it to you. I entrust my life to you. Put it in your pocket. Take it to heaven. I'm going to spend from this moment forward the rest of my life feeding my brothers and my sisters the true word of God. I'm going to love them. I'm going to minister to them. I'm going to no longer be concerned about what happens to me. I lay aside all thoughts of success, all thoughts of recognition, all thoughts of being somebody. I'm going to lay aside all of my dreams of being the man of the hour. I'm instead going to carefully, Wait upon you and look to you. And what you give to me, I'll give to others. What you feed me, I'll feed others. Oh, we're in that awful time. We're in that awful time of waiting. I've never been good at waiting for anything. (laughs) You make me a promise, I want it now. I want what's mine now. You promised it to me. Give it to me. What's this waiting business? Nothing develops character like waiting. Waiting is the fire of refining power God uses in our hearts and in our lives to uncover what's really going on in the depths of our spirit. Oh, I hate waiting. But it's a way of God. When I was a child, I could get away with saying, Daddy, 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 please, Daddy, could I have it? Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And Daddy would finally get tired and say, here, get out of my face. Doesn't work anymore. When I became a man, I put away childish ways. Now I wait on God. There is no higher honor you could do for Jesus than to be willing to wait for him. What do we say about a a young lady who is betrothed 
to a handsome soldier who goes off to the war and says, will you wait for me? And she says, oh, honey, I'll wait for you. And a year later says, I'm tired of waiting. I don't know if he's living or dead. I'm going to go ahead and marry Joe. What would we say about her? And then the hero comes back. And she's wed. And he says, why didn't you wait for me? I don't want Jesus to come and say to me, why didn't you wait for me? Why did you wed the enemy? Why did you wed the devil? Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I don't want to hear those words. So tonight I have my marching orders. Entrust my life to Jesus. Wait on him. Feed the brothers and sisters. Love my brothers and sisters. Walk in peace with all men. And let Jesus do through my life what he wants to do. Just like the father got to do through Jesus' life what he wanted to do. And I just hear tonight, some of you in this house are struggling because you still want to be something. I mean, I never heard anybody in my life ever say, what do you want to do? And hear them answer, I want to wait. (laughs) I've never heard that answer. What do you want to be when you grow up? A waiter. (laughs) Now, come on, you got to be somebody. Got to do great things. You got to accomplish things. Well, now I'm old enough to look back and say that was a bunch of foolishness. Jesus didn't call me to do great things. Called me to wait on him. Feed his sheep. Love my brothers. And watch. Guard. When you dive into your bag of sin, you cannot be on guard. When you open your soul to the devil, you cannot be on watch. Tonight, the word of the Lord is, do not be afraid, little flock, at the National Prayer Chapel, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Wait on him. Oh, Lord, I wait upon you. I wait upon you, Jesus. I wait upon you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, have your way in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Pray that you have been awakened today by the Holy Spirit to a new hunger for Jesus and His holiness. If you need someone to pray with you, call 703-490-8723. That number again, 703-490-8723. You can contact us by writing to the National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 
That address again, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Come worship with us on Thursday evening at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. at the Vineyard Church located on US-1 in Woodbridge. For more information, call 703-490-8723. At the National Prayer Chapel, you will find Jesus, the Bread of Life.